In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text for today is the epistle reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. There is an old saying that those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. Last week, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, our national church body, considered a resolution. We considered a lot of resolutions. I'll be giving a report to the congregation about that in the coming days. But the resolution was Resolution 4-07, titled, To Give Thanks for the Preservation of the Gospel in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It addressed a rather somber uh, note in our church's history that is upcoming. This February will mark the 50th anniversary of the 1974 walkout from the St. Louis Seminary carried out by students and the majority of our seminary's faculty there. Some of you may remember those days, or at least some of the fallout from it, but for those who aren't in the know, the shorter explanation is this. It was discovered through a long process of investigation that some on the faculty were teaching that the Bible wasn't the sole and final revelation and authority on the Christian life and doctrine. Those who left believed that the Bible was not a historical book, but it was to be read in such a way as to determine some timeless truths in the midst of a whole lot of other cultural issues that we could and ought to often disregard. They read it in a way that you had to read Shakespeare when you were in high school. They cut it apart and dissected it, not really concerned that any of it was true, but were just looking for general themes throughout. This walkout resulted in the formation of another Lutheran church body that at the beginning of the 1980s eventually formed what is now called the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or the ELCA for short. I bring this up because our two, our two church bodies have taken two very different paths when it comes to how things have gone over the last 50 some odd years. We in the LCMS believe that the Bible is without error, that it is inspired or breathed out by God himself, meaning that we know that we can trust it. They, on the other hand, believe that the Holy Spirit's main way of speaking is not through the scriptures, but is through the culture. Maybe you can already begin to see the problem there. Whereas we have always rejected things like women's ordination and homosexuality and its many variations, the ELCA accepts these things wholeheartedly. In fact, just a few years ago, they elected their first transgender bishop to oversee one of their larger districts out west. As a result, because they believe that the Holy Spirit speaks of the culture, they cannot say no to any cultural movement that gains wide enough acceptance because that is their source of authority, not the unchanging truths of the scriptures. But what does Jesus say to all of that? He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If we cannot act as a preserving agent for God's timeless truths in the world, we are useless, in other words. Or, he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or better yet, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The word of God is our sole authority as Christians because it is what makes us holy. It is what is true. It is what God has said. The lesson that we are to learn from the 1974 walkout those lessons are pretty easily discerned when we look at who we are and where we are today versus where that church body is now and where it is today. Now, in our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, St. Paul draws our attention to things that happened in the past, things that we also ought to learn about. He says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He goes on from there to warn us about the dangers of idolatry and sexual immorality, but it's worth noting the history that he's referencing. In the verses immediately prior to our epistle reading, verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, St. Paul says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. This seems like a good general reminder of the graciousness that God had for his people Israel. Paul is reminding them of how he took them by the hand and led them out of slavery in Egypt with God guiding them through the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. They crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground with Moses at the helm. They all ate the food that God had given them to eat, the manna from heaven that he graciously gave to them every single morning. This was food for their bodies, but it was also a spiritual food, says St. Paul. God gave them this food as an expression of his faithfulness towards them and as an opportunity for them to express their faith and trust in him. They never had an abundance of manna. You remember what happened when they did, when they gathered more than they needed, it bred worms and it stank, it rotted. But those who gathered just a little, they always had enough, and those who gathered too much, well, they never had anything left over. They were told that they were to gather twice as much on Fridays, because on Saturdays was the day of rest. It was the Sabbath, and God did not give the manna for them on Saturdays. This was an opportunity for them to grow their trust and faith in God. 
In the same way, I would remind all of you of the graciousness that God has had towards you. You have the fullest revelation of the gracious and saving power of God. Yes, they saw the pillar of cloud. They saw the Red Sea. They saw the manna. They saw all of these things. But you know how God has set forth not to save a certain people from slavery in Egypt, but how he has sought to save the entire world by giving his son Jesus. You were not baptized into Moses, but you were baptized into Christ. You are not one of those who was escaping from slavery, but you have now escaped from sin and death. He has fed you with something that is greater than manna, his true body, which we will eat here shortly. He's given you something greater to drink than from the side of a rock, but his true blood that issued forth from the wounded side as he, lay, as he stood laying, or dying on the cross. But remember this. This is a warning. St. Paul does not want us to forget God's gracious work among us. For he goes on to say in the verse right before our reading, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, with most of them, those Old Testament people who were rescued through the Red Sea and ate the manna, with most of them, he says, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They practiced idolatry. They worshipped the golden calves that Aaron made while Moses was up on the mountaintop at Sinai receiving the covenant from God's own hand. They practiced sexual immorality in the wilderness, going into other nations and taking for them wives and husbands from those nations that worshipped false gods. How quickly they forsook the Lord who freed them from Egypt. How quickly they turned their noses up at the Lord's provision for them as they journeyed through the wilderness. I'm always struck by that reading in Numbers where they are complaining about the manna. They say, we have nothing here to eat, and we loathe this worthless food. They did have something to eat. They just had rejected what God had given. And so the story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy really is a story of one great, big, long funeral procession. All those who were over the age of 20 died in the wilderness for turning their backs on the Lord's promise given to them in the land that he had promised to give to their father Abraham. But are we any better? We look at those people and we kind of chuckle. I wouldn't have done that. But how quickly have we forgot what the Lord has done for us in this place? Jesus himself will soon put his own body and blood into our mouths. But how easily do those same mouths forget to call upon him in prayer and praise and thanksgiving throughout the week? How often do those same mouths curse rather than bless? The risen Christ comes here to us in this place to remind us that not only has he conquered death by his dying, but in his resurrection and ascension, he's ruling all things for our good. 
But we all too easily fall back into fear and doubt when we walk out of the doors of the sanctuary. So today's epistle stands as a warning for us. Take heed, says St. Paul, lest we fall into the lies of the devil and the world that tell us that God really isn't in control of what we see around us, or that God won't demand an accounting of the way we've used the gifts he's give, given to us in this life. The word of God stands as a witness of the holiness of God and his power to save. But the temptations you face to be afraid, to doubt, to indulge your sinful nature are not unique. You're not alone in the struggle against sin. This is why God calls us together to be here with one another, to receive the gifts that Christ freely gives. Here we find others who can sympathize with us in our plight and can encourage us in the fight against our fallen flesh. This is also one of the great things about the Lutheran theology of the saints. We can see in them not these men who stand up on pedestals, who are leading us along by their holy examples alone, but we see in them our own weaknesses, our own shortcomings, our own failures. And we see also in them God's willingness and power to save even them. These stories, dear saints, all of the stories of the scripture are written for our instruction to show us that God does indeed provide a way of escape from these sins. And that escape hatch is none other than Jesus himself. So when you're afraid, when you doubt, when you sin, flee. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ who has died for you and has shed his blood for you. Christ is the door through which we can freely walk so that we might stand up against the trials that the devil has laid out before us. Jesus stands by our side every time the devil comes and accuses us of our past sins, and he says, I have died for these sins. This dear lamb is mine. He is clothed in my righteousness. I have taken her to myself. Dear saints, in Jesus, you will endure through the wilderness of sin and death. And then you will come at last to the promised land, which God has made yours in his son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord.